The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As we read earlier this morning of the God who is abundantly above all that we ask or think at work within us. So we're going to kind of explore what that is today. We, we looked last week at the fact that we're, we're seeking to honor the one who has called us into this. We honor him by being humble and gentle with other believers. We honor him by being patient with other believers. But why? What, what, what's, the, what's the purpose? What's the, the unifying factor here? And so we're going to be talking today about the unity of the faith. And to do that at this time is kind of appropriate because we are we're living in a world that's divided, right? Uh, and yet at the same time, we're striving to be at, in so, at some level united, in some, ways, some level striving for peace. And you see that especially with the start of the Winter Olympics, right? So the Olympics is always kind of this, this time where people uh, gather together from all over the world and compete together without killing one another. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's supposed to be this unifying time. And, it, and in a lot of ways, it is. And at the same time, it's not. I mean, if you've watched any coverage at all, they're, they're still talking about Beijing and, and how between 2008, when the, the Summer Olympics and now, Beijing's become much more oppressive and repressive in its, in its control of the, the Chinese nation and, 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 and different people groups amongst that nation. And, and the question then comes, right, well, how are we supposed to be unified? What, what brings us unity if, if even sport can't do that, right? Because it is amazing to watch different people from different nations compete, give their hearts to do something, and to come up either short or to win it all. I, I was watching a little bit of the, the slope style. I don't know if you've ever watched this, especially... Uh, you know, where they're, they're going off rails and then they're doing jumps all, all on snowboards, you know, which, one, I don't snowboard that much to begin with, so uh, I don't, I'm like, ah, that's amazing in itself. But then, then you realize that basically, you, you watch, I was watching the girls do it, and you realize there's probably about 15 to 20 girls in the whole world that can compete at that level, that, in a sense, know their bodies that well right, and know, know how to move their bodies that well that they can soar 50 to 60 feet through the air and then land it and keep going, you know. It's amazing to watch, and, and, and you realize, okay, we can be unified in awe of them, you know, but what brings us unity together? And we find here in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul takes Seven ones, there's seven unifying things that bring believers together. And he repeats those ones in such a way that you also realize he's talking about the three, and the three is also, threes are also part of this whole thing. So that the, the sevens and threes unite together to, to, in a sense, say the Trinity is at work in us. And so... Uh, uh, just a couple pictures here, if I get it, get this right, if I turn it on, first of all, I'm going to do that first. Uh, 
right, here's the, the Olympics, and uh, I was watching this too. It's, it's kind of amazing how they can ski and then shoot all in one thing, right? Um, but the big idea this morning is the unity we have is God-created, God-defined, and God-preserved, and we accept it by faith and should live it with joy. That's the big idea I want to get across this morning, because when we're talking about unity, the first time that I, I remember really thinking about unity a lot was when I was a senior in high school. Uh, my school took the seniors, we weren't a huge school, so they took the senior class, about 26 of us, those who could make it, and, and we had a senior retreat before, you know, before high school started, and they took the senior class, and they, they're like, hey, you guys need to be unified, you need to lead this high school, you need, to, you need to be unified, so what do you want to be unified around? And that's my, kind of my first time where I really thought about unity, and it was, it was like, we, we got to pick something to be unified around, and then we keep to that, right? And sometimes when you read this passage, it's just what you kind of think about. You think, oh, we've got to be unified around something. And so a lot of times people approach Christianity that way. Like, we've just got to be unified around, and we want to, in a sense, dumb it down, and we want to kind of make it, okay, just let's make it about the gospel, or let's make it about Jesus. Let's just bring it down to you be unified around this. And that, that's how we can stay unified, But he's not talking about unity as in something we have to create. Nor, nor is he talking about unity like, you know, like rich people have unity. You know, like rich people talk about their homes. Yeah, like I've got my, yeah, my, my home in Ames is great, but then I've got the, the cabin up on the North Shore, and I've got the beach house down on the Gulf. Yeah, I, I've, I've got it together. It's like you've got multiple options to be unified around. He's not... He's not talking about unity like that either. Nor is he talking about unity as, as, as in we're going to unite to build something up. This is not us coming together and, and making something better than it is. Because that's oftentimes the way we think about unity. We think about something that we, we, we create by what we do. And as we get into it, this morning, I want you to see from Ephesians chapter 4 that this is something that God has done, not that we do. Now, we live in it. In fact, Psalm 133 talks about it. It says, uh, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, right? There is a place in which we need to dwell within unity and, and, and be united together. But the unity that he's talking about here is not the unity that we create it's the unity that God created and we live in. And that's fundamentally different. It's fundamentally different because it means, as we'll see as we go through, that there is something that God has done that we just need to respond to, we need to live in. So let's notice what it says here in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Some, some people think that this Paul is actually taking, in a sense, uh, a, a, a hymn or, or, or a chant that the 
the early church would have used to express their faith, to express what they believe in. And then that might be true here. If it is, it's, it's kind of like the Olympic theme, right? That we, we all know, as Americans, we all know. You know, we can be like, oh, it's the Olympics, okay? We're unified around. Well, well this is an expression of the, the, this unity we have, and, and it's put together, in, it, it does seem song-like. One, because there's two th- groups of three, and, and the second group of three, in, in Greek, there's, uh, there's male n- nouns, there's female nouns, and there's neuter nouns. And so you have these different, um, different ways of expressing different words, just like Spanish. If you're taking Spanish, it's similar, except there's neuter as well as male and female. And, and in the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, it's the, the, the nouns are male, female, neuter. It's, it's like he's trying to, even, even, in, even how he puts it together, even how it is put together, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's designed to be all-encompassing even as it's unifying. And as I reflected on this, I realized in a lot of ways I've approached this passage more like, well, this is something we all share, and we all share in one body, we all share in one spirit, we all share in one hope, for instance, which is true. We all share in it. That's what he's saying. But there's something else that's going on here, and I put it, it's going to flow through the sermon, but in the, the, the idea here is the point number one, the singularity of the Spirit's work in the body. The singularity of the Spirit's work in the body. The idea here is, is that there is one body the Spirit is working in. There's one body. The Jews and the Gentiles might have thought, well, especially the Jews, they might have thought, well, we're one body. You know, what affects the Jews affects the Jews, but it doesn't necessarily affect the Gentiles. But the Spirit has made a new body, one man in Christ, and what happens to the Jew affects the Gentile in the body, and what happens to the Gentile in the body affects the Jew in the body. There's one body. It means that we're in this together. And sometimes we say to one another, we need each other. And the world says that too, we need each other. But it's not because we need each other that we need each other. It's because we cannot be what we are without each other. You cannot have a body without a body. And there is only one body that the Spirit is working in. There is no other body that the Holy Spirit works in and works among and is seeking to create and build up. You can't go and be like, well, I'll go find some other religion or some other idea or some other group. No, there's only one body. The Spirit's only working in that body. COVID kind of illustrated that to me because, you know, we had the lockdowns and and there was a sense in which, you, you, okay, we, we don't know what's going on. We need to stay safe. I, I got that. But at some point in, in that process, I was like, you know what? I don't care. I, I need some people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'll admit it. I'm fine with admitting it. I, I'm, not, I'm not able to live alone, you know. And frankly, even though I've got nine people in my house, I'm not able to live with just nine people. You know? <laughs> in fact, I prefer not to live with just nine people. But that's another, another part of the story, right? But the, the, the point is, is that... At some point you realize, you know, I need more people that I live with, that I'm, 
that I'm a part of. These are people that I would rather not live if I don't get to live with. Does that make sense? Family members, church members, right? Where you're saying, this is, this is the body I live among. I can't, I can't not do this. There is no other place that I can go. And therefore, when we pull back from the body, because the body hurts sometimes, and the body kind of, you know, I was working out this week and did something. I, was, I, I, I swear I was doing it exactly like I did every, every other time. And nope, the body was like, I'm hurting, you know. <laughs> and it stopped working for a while. And I'm like, what do I do, right? And the, when the body hurts, sometimes we pull back. But there is no other body. <laughs> I can't step out of this body when it hurts. I live in this body. And there is only one body that I can go to to get healing, this body. And the church is the same way. There is no other body that you can go to except the body the Spirit is working in. The Spirit is working in this body. And I'm not talking about this body as in this local church, although that's true, but the, the body of believers. This is the group that God has chosen to work in and among during this epoch of history. It didn't exist before Pentecost, but the Spirit created it. And we live in it. Therefore, he also says, there is no other creative and sustaining power in the universe but the Spirit. There's one Spirit. The Spirit that, that, that made the universe, right? That took the words of God and translated it into atoms. <laughs> that took the words of God and turned it into mice and deer and roaches and everything else that goes into all creation. That Spirit that's creative and working and put, putting it all together, there is no other Spirit do you get that? There is no other spirit at work in the universe. There is one spirit. And he's at work in the church, creating us, sustaining us, molding us, helping us. Where else can we go? Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. That's what God has given us, this spirit. Therefore, where else can we go to have hope? And that's what he also says. There is only one positive future that we have hope in. There is, as he puts it here, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. It reminds me of of uh, Endgame, the movie, right? I mean, if, if you've watched, uh, this is probably not helpful for, the, for you older people who don't watch some of those, these Marvel comic movies. I get it. But for you younger people out there, right, who, who watch Endgame, and they're like, there's, and he's like, there's one, one future where this all works out well, right? Although not for Tony Stark, but that's another story. Uh, there's one po positive future here that works out 
And in a sense, that's what Paul is saying here. We, we think about the future of the world. We think of COVID and what's going on there. We think of, of China and Russia and, and their collusion together in some ways. And we, 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 we wonder where the world is headed. There are so many possible ways it could go. We are called to one hope. And it's a secure hope. But there's only one possible good future, and it's the one that where God is in charge, where he reigns, where he's in control, where the Spirit's at work, where the Son saves. There's only one. And so he's saying here, you have this hope, though. This is hope we commonly share, but there's only one of it. Do you get that about the world? Do you get that about what you've been called to? You, you know this hope now. You know where, where, the, where the positive future of the world is headed. Where Christ reigns on his throne and where we rejoice with him forever. There is a hope that humanity has in the face of death, right? Because there are other hopes that we have, other leaders that call for hope, that say, hey, you can get hope here, you can get hope there. And the Spirit is saying, I am working one hope <laughs> where we, everyone bows the knee and declares that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so these are three things the Spirit has accomplished. This is not something that we do. It's not something that we say, well, I've got I've to live this. I've got I've to live this to make this happen. No, no. The Spirit does this. We just believe it and trust it. So we only have this hope, body, and spirit because of the next kind of seg segment of the hymn, so to speak, which is the singularity of the Son's provision of salvation. The singularity of the Son's provision of salvation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And in a sense here he's saying, there is only one king who can deliver us from death. One Lord. There is no other one who can sit on the throne and deliver us. There's especially no one who can sit on the throne and deliver us from death. Except the one who conquered death by rising again from the grave. And you cannot influence him or buy him off or manipulate him. There are kings who have conquered markets, emotions, the powers of this world, but they have all died. There is only one Lord who conquers death. And if you're going anywhere else, and if you're going to trust anyone else, it's going to end in failure. It's going to end in ruin. It's going to end in destruction. But there is one Lord. There is one Lord, and he rules and reigns in peace and righteousness, in justice. He has, he has created his kingdom by dying for his people and paying for their sins. In righteousness, he rules. And therefore, if that's true, then there's only one confession that we can trust in. It says here, one faith. And in some, it's again, he's combining the ideas here of faith that is a faith that you believe in and faith that is what, is, what are you believing in? What is the content of your faith? 
Both are true. It's not one works. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my way. I'm going to earn my way into this, into this kingdom. It's one faith. We trust in what Christ has done for us. But there is a content to that faith. It's something that we, ha- we can look at and wrestle with and, 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 and engage with. There's only one confession that we can trust in. Because, again, I, I'm reminded, I, I follow the, the U.S. soccer teams, right? And, and they talk about believing, right? This is kind of a common kind of thing. They say, believe, you know, we believe, right? What? We believe that we can win. We can believe that we can succeed, you know. A lot of people say believe, trust, Right? But there's only one confession of belief that matters. There's only one confession of belief that saves. We don't dumb down what we believe because what our, our control of our beliefs doesn't matter. It's who we're believing in that matters. It's our confession of what God has done that matters. And therefore, we preach the whole counsel of God. We're not saying, okay, we're going to avoid this passage because it's hard to understand. We're going to say, no, this is what we believe. And yes, there's room for some differences on certain areas. But it's because we believe in this truth, that the word of God is our sole and sufficient rule of faith and practice. We can confess that and believe that and follow it because it's not about us unifying ourselves together. It's just pursuing the one who has unified us and seeking him. And therefore, he says, there's only one unifying process that gives us salvation. He says, one baptism. And you say, well, is he, we, we kind of consider, theologians kind of argue, is he talking about water baptism and there's only one way to get baptized, or is it one, one spirit baptism? And there's a, it's, it starts with spirit baptism, because you can't be unified, in a sense, without the spirit doing it. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Baptism is a, a unification process. It unites the one who identifies with, with the one who you are identifying with. And he's saying, when we, we're identified with Christ, we're identified into his death. We go through that unification. Verse 4, we were there, buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of, Father, of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's saying there's a, a unifying process, and the only way that you can be unified with this process of salvation, with the work that Christ has done, is to be baptized into it by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who does that process, but Christ created that process by dying and rising again. And so, in the Jewish mind, there is no kind of division between spirit baptism and water baptism. It's just baptism. It's the process of salvation. And we, we separate it because we understand there's like disagreements about how to do it and stuff like that. I, w- I will say there, there's only one basic way that's recorded in Scripture, and that's to dunk someone in water, okay? All good Baptists say amen, right? But, uh, but, the, but the point is, is that it's, it's a process of salvation. The whole point is that you are identifying yourself. You're recognizing that you are united with Christ. 
And this is the only place that salvation comes from, to be united to him. What he has done on our behalf. You can't be like, okay, Christ did this for me. Now I'm going to do some stuff over here for myself. And between the two of us, we'll make it happen. No, what he did on our behalf, we must be plunged into it. We must be united with it. There is only one way of salvation. That is why Jesus said in Romans 14, 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Because he is the way. And the way that he created is unification with himself. Through baptism. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to the singularity of the Father's authority to provide. And it's interesting here because kind of the rhythm at this point is kind of one, two, three, one, two, three, and then one. <laughs> you're kind of a musical person, the rhythm stops for a second, and then it picks back up one, two, three. So again, if you're, if you're kind of a rhythmic person, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, one, two, three. You're like, what's the one? What's so, what's so important that you just stop here for a second? And he says, one God and Father of all. And then the one, two, three, who is over all and through all and in all. And you realize the, this, this one is the, the Father who has planned this from eternity past into eternity future. He, he knows the end from the beginning. He has put all this together in order to show love to us and to glorify the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together as they perform this work of redemption and recreation in the face of evil and injustice and hatred and sin. John 3.16 encapsulates it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is the one who initiated this process. He is the Father who provides, and he doesn't give up that authority. He's not a father who's kind of absent or uninvolved, He's not like, I'm going to delegate my authority to, to love my children to someone else. I'll, I'll have someone else come up with a plan for how to love them. <laughs> you ever think about that? A father who's like, you know, I've got some children, but yeah, let's see. Who can I hire to figure out how to raise these kids? <laughs> no. A father loves his children, and he's like, I'm going to love them. I'm not going to delegate that authority to anyone. He's the father of all of us. He's, he's the father of all believers, and he loves us enough to, to plan and to work and to give us this unity together. Therefore, there is only one God and Father who loves. He, he's the only one. There is no other father that we can go to. Now, we have human fathers who maybe reflect some of the father's characteristics, but there's only one God and Father who is both God of the universe and Father to those he loves. And therefore, it goes on to say, there is only one who is over everything else, who is over all. Do you want to know who's in charge ultimately? You know, who, who, who in the midst of everything that is happening in this world, you can go to and say, you can appeal to and say, God, do something about this and know that he can, if he chooses to do so, if he loves you and he knows this is best for you, it's God the Father. There's only one who is over everything else. 
And that's why we go to the Father in prayer. That's why we appeal to the Father and say, God, thank you, and God, help, and God, what do I do here? Because there's only one who is over everything else. Some go to temples. Some beat themselves up. Some go on pilgrimages. We have a Father we can call to any time we ask. And there is only one. Therefore, also, there is only one who is working in the church, through the, in the church and through the church. Now, when I say this, I, I, I get it. And in fact, this is what Ephesians is partially about, that there are other factors at work, other spirits involved, that the powers and authority in the heavenly places, Satan and his angels, are at work. But no one is working in and through, is the point. Sometimes Satan trips up certain believers and captures certain believers, and they, they get trapped in sin temporarily but even God is superintending even all of that for his glory, his purposes. There is only one who is at working in and through the church. He's the working to create and provide. And the point really here is you will never find anywhere else where you can truly belong and feel that God is at work in you and through you. And so it comes full circle back again. That God the Father, who, has, who, has, who loves us, is not distant from us, not uninvolved with us, not far away from us. He's the one that's making us his home. He's the one who, through the Spirit, is making us this place where he is going to dwell with us forever. Emmanuel means God with us. And Christ came to show us that God is with us and that we are going to be with him forever. That is the hope that we have and that is the, the, the purpose of the church is to be this group that God lives among. And therefore, it's, not, it's just in the text only way I can say to think of this is that the, oops, the unity of the Trinity in us. Do you see the unity of the Trinity in us? The Spirit is at work in you. The Son is at work in you. The Father is at work in you. And if that's true, then why would we create division? Why would we say, well, that group, they're, they're not that important, or this person, they're not that important, or, or I want my way. Why would we do that? Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have unified us together. This is what we have. If the Father and the Son have, and the Spirit have unified us, how could we think that we are inadequate, imperfect, or unloved? Think, well, I can't do very much. It's not about you. The Spirit is at work in you. The Son is at work in you. The Father is at work in you. You are part of this awesome plan that God has made from eternity past to redeem and restore creation and humanity back to himself if you have trusted in Christ. You say, well, nobody seems to love me. Nobody seems to appreciate me. 
You are chosen from the foundation of the world. You're adopted into his family. This is the work of the Trinity in you. And that's, in some sense, is the ultimate point here. If the Son, the Father, and the Spirit have unified us, how could this fail? Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We've, we've been brought together in the power of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How could this fail? How could we not succeed and glorify the one who has delivered us? And yes, that doesn't mean that, we're out, it's, that we don't have responsibility to do some things, but it's not, it's not that we're creating this unity ourselves by doing those things. We're living out the unity that God has given us in the Spirit, the Father, and the Son. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, the end of 2 Corinthians, the last verse, says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that's not a, like a, oh, I hope that happens. That's a, this is what you have. The Spirit is at work in you. The Son is at work in you. The Father is at work in you. Do you get it? <laughs> There's only one. There's one hope. We look around and we try to find hope in our jobs or our families or our governments. There's only one hope. We look around and we're like, how, how, how do I live? What do I do? How do I, how do I operate? There's one Lord. We go to him. There, you're like, but I don't have the, the means or ability or resources. There's one God. He's the Father. He provides. You only need one of those. Therefore, there is one salvation. There is one call. We have this. When people in ages past didn't understand this, didn't know it, we have it. It is ours, not because we want it, but because it's been given to us as a gift. Do you realize the gift you've been given? Do you delight in that gift? When you have one of these, you only need one. <laughs> I don't need one more father when I have this father. I don't need one more Lord when I have this Lord. I don't need one more spirit when I have this spirit. And the question then becomes very clear and just very simple, which is, what do you believe? It's not what have you done. It's not what you're going to do. It's not how you can spin things. No, just what do you believe? Do you believe there's a father who loves you? Do you believe he gave his son to save you? Do you believe he sent his spirit to work that in you? Or are you looking for some other option? 
like, well, this sounds nice. This is kind of cool, but uh, what about this person? Or what about that situation? Or what about maybe there's something in the future that's going to be better? I mean, I get it, right? When I was 20, my friends would be like, hey, let's go do this. And I'd be like, well, maybe some of my other friends will say something that I more want to do. You know, like, hey, let's go to, let's go to Papa John's and have pizza. And then I'm like, well, maybe my other friends will say, let's go to Great Plains and have pizza. And I'll hold out for that, you know. I get, we can do that sometimes, right? But there's only one. <laughs> there's one hope. There's one Lord. There's one salvation. There's one God who is over all and through all and in all. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. There is only one. Are you seeking him? Are you trusting him? What do you believe in? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this hymn that reminds us of the hope that we have because of the spirit at work in the body. And sometimes we see all the imperfections of the body and the problems of the body and we forget the work of the spirit in the body. And there is no other body <laughs> where you are at work. And Lord, I thank you for the one Lord that we have, the one who gave himself for us as we celebrated earlier this morning. And we confess that he is Lord. And there is no other. And we thank you for uniting us with him by your great plan because you are the Father who provides for us. And you are over everything and everything and all creation. You control. It is all under your plan. And we ask. We ask that more and more people would believe this. They would trust it. They would realize that there is one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so may we honor you who has put this all together and given us this unity in yourself by seeking to be humble and gentle and patient not because that creates the unity, but that helps us to see the unity that we have in Christ. We thank you for that unity. And we pray fervently that you would increase those who know of what you have done for us and the unity we have with you. In your son's name.